All right, so uh, it's good to uh, to be back. It's uh, good to see everybody back uh, also. Um, so the Shaila, which I was hoping to uh, to do today, which I was planning to do today, so uh, somebody raised it uh, this morning, um, and that was a Shaila which relates to somebody uh, went to the eye doctor, received a prescription for a uh, a new pair of glasses there. Uh, prescription uh, uh, changed from the last time that they got glasses. So they uh, they went out of the doctor's office with their new prescription, uh, as the new generation will do, rather than actually going to an optometrist at that point. So they just went ahead and they logged in in one of these places online, and they ordered glasses online, you know, uh, you know, 17 pairs of glasses for $3, I think it is, or something like that. Um, but they went ahead and they ordered them, and when they came, so it was like looking in my glasses. It was way off in terms of what the prescription was. And the person uh, copied it correctly into the, uh, into the order form, but it turns out that the optometrist, so the eye doctor went ahead and made a mistake and wrote the wrong number in the prescription. So obviously the lenses are no good because they're five times what uh, the person needs in order to be able to see. And obviously such glasses are, uh, cannot be used. So somebody came to me this morning and they said, oh, um, they said, uh, you know, what do you think the halacha is going to be in such a case? I said, amazing. I said, I think there's a business weekly about this. I said, hold on, let me go ahead and look it up and I'll, uh, I'll track it down for you and I'll, I'll, I'll get it for you. So I tried looking on the database, which I have in my computer, and I couldn't, I wasn't hitting the right uh, keywords, obviously, so it didn't show up. I tried logging in, and it seems as if the Business uh, Halacha Institute um, website is not functioning today. So I couldn't find it that way. And as a last resort, I reached out to my friend, and I said, uh, did we write an article about such a topic? Because I can't find it, and uh, he's always very good at being able to, uh, to, to track these things down. And I didn't hear back from him. So I started looking, you know, elsewhere in places where I think I may have written it up, and I couldn't find it. But what I did find is another interesting Shiloh. So that's all that was an introduction of the Shiloh we're not doing. And, but instead, (laughs) we're going to take that as a sign, Mina Shamayim, that we should go ahead and we should do this other Shiloh. Your original choice was short-sighted. Excellent. Thank you. Good to see you back. We appreciate appreciate that. Um, So we're going to go ahead and we are going to address a different Shiloh. And that is, if I can find it. Um... And that is, does it say now on your screen, putting someone else's food under a bed? No. Nope. Oh, Hilchos Brochos, part seven. Okay, hold on. Now let's try it one more time. Now it's there? Putting someone else's food under a bed? Yes. Yes. Uh, okay, so here we're going to come upon uh, uh, an interesting Shiloh not as interesting as the glasses, but an interesting uh, Shaila, and it has a number of interesting uh, components to it, uh, which makes it, that's what makes it uh, an interesting Shaila. Uh, and we'll see, again, it's, a, it's an interesting exercise in terms of, 
as you'll see, how different types of uh, halachic principles can be invoked, can be utilized, and uh, um, how uh, halachic reasoning is going to work to arrive at a conclusion, lemaisa. Okay, so the case which ultimately we're going to get to is something which happens, uh, you know, uh, pretty frequently, uh, and that is not, not in our homes, but happens sometimes at camp. So I go ahead and uh, uh, I'm on my way out of the room where somebody's in charge of cleaning up the room and they end up taking somebody's trunk, uh, which is filled with uh, with candy and chips and all sorts of and cookies and stuff like that. And they end up putting it under somebody else's bed. And then that person goes ahead and goes to sleep, not knowing that the stuff is there. And now, as we're going to see, the question is, what's the status of that food? Because there's an issue. That's what's going to be. So let's see source number one, why this is an issue. So over here, we begin with a halacha in Yoridea. There's one simon in Yoridea, simon kuftes zayin, where Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah in the postgame discuss the status of, they, they discuss the obligation a person has in order to not put themselves in danger, not to engage in uh, dangerous activities. And then together with that, or part of that, is a whole list of uh, of activities which Chazal perceived as being particularly dangerous. And therefore, a person isn't allowed to go ahead and say, and this is mentioned at the beginning of the simon, a person can't say, eh, I'm not concerned about those things, these things don't bother me, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to disregard the danger, and I'm going to rely on the likelihood that it's not really going to harm me. So that itself is considered to be an Aveira. It's considered to be an Aveira to go ahead and disregard uh, activities which are known to be dangerous. What the definition of known to be dangerous is, is a different discussion, but in that simon over there, so we read as follows. Lo yitain, this is source number one now, make it a little bigger. So we say, lo yitain, I'll myself there, lo yitain tavshiv lo mashkim tachasamita. So there's a prohibition to go ahead and put food or beverages under a bed. What's the, re- what's the restriction? Why is this prohibited? What's the concern? Because there's some sort of harmful spirit which resides under the bed. So back when you were a child and your parents told you, look, there's no boogeyman under the bed, so that may not have been entirely accurate. There may, and there may actually be, yeah, I don't know about a boogeyman, but there's a boogie spirit which is there under the uh, which is there under the bed, and therefore leaving food or beverages which are there. So this is something which is it's going to allow that ruach ra to settle on the food or the beverage, and then that is something which is uh, it, it, it is aser. So that is the halacha that we have to be concerned about. What happens when food is left there? So l'chatchila, you should not put food or beverages there. But what happens when uh, somebody didn't realize and they left it there anyways? Yes, Helen. But the original person to whom the trunk belonged, it was under their bed, right? Um, no, what, what, we're, what we're eventually going to get to is where Ruvain put Shimon's food under somebody's bed. So Ruvain didn't put his own food under uh, under his bed. Ruvain put somebody else's food under the bed. Okay. So what the question is going to be, does Ruvain have any liability for possibly ruining Shimon's food by putting it under a bed? 
Okay. So all we know from Shulchan Aruch is, so far, is the fact that this is something you're not supposed to do. So you're not supposed to put food or beverages under the, uh, under the bed. Now, what happens, Bidi Eved, if it ended up there? So here we come upon a fascinating disagreement. And this you have in the Pisgah Tshuv over there. Simon Kuftah Zion Sifkat and Dalad. So it says, sorry, I should have highlighted this as well. We say, so he says, I am B'Tshuvas Shvus Yaakov, Chelek Be'i Simen Kofei. So if you look in the Shvus Yaakov, Rav Yaakov Reicher, so Shanishal Im Nasan Ochlim Mashkim Tachasamita, let's say somebody did not, was not attentive to this halacha, and he went ahead and he put some sort of food or beverage under a bed anyways. I Asurim B'Dyevet. So what does that do to the food? Are you allowed to eat the food or you're not allowed to eat the food? So we know, for example, that in the morning you wake up and there's ruach ra on your hands. That's why we wash nagel vasar in the morning. Wash nagel vasar to go ahead and to get rid of the ruach ra, which is on our hands. And it's actually brought down that before washing nagel vasar, one should not be touching any food. You don't want to touch food or beverages, but hopefully you're not putting your fingers in your drink anyways. But you're not allowed to go ahead and touch food while there's ruach ra on your hands. So now the question is, the Shus Yaakov was asked, great, so that's something you're not supposed to do. But let's say somebody did it anyways. So does that make the food, in a sense, treif? Are you not allowed to eat the food anymore? What happens to the food in the event that the food is contacted by either Ruach Ra, which is coming off of your hands because you didn't wash Nego Vasser, or is it going to be in the event that somebody leaves a food or a beverage under a bed, and it's going to be able to hit yeah. that food, it's going to be able to reside on that food, and now what's going to be the status of that? So if the, the, Shrus, the Shrus Yaakov has asked that question, and his response was, i get myself onto the screen, says, V'hela, rak azhar The Shrus Yaakov's uh, uh, conclusion is, is that this restriction is only l'chatchila. You should not be uh, uh, touching food or putting food in a circumstance in which it will come in contact with ruach ra. But it doesn't make the food aser. So when Reuven goes out and takes Shimon's trunk of food and puts it under a bed for the night, so Shimon's food is not aser to eat. Reuven wasn't supposed to do it in the first place, but once it was done, so he's saying, no, no, it's not such a big deal, and the food is going to be permitted. But he says, and the Shus Yaakov goes out and proves this from various Gemaras and Shas, that this is going to be the halacha, but the Pisgah Tshuva tells us, make sure that you look at the next Sif Katan, look at the next paragraph, because there's going to be some important information there. Okay, so now, what does it say in the, um, what does it say in the next Sif Katan? So here you have Sif Katan Hay. So here the Pisgah Tshuva writes, Besefer Binas Adam Klasam Gimel, Kasa B'Shem HaGrazal. So now we find out, we know, we know what the Shvus Yaakov holds. The Shvus Yaakov holds that the food is going to be mutter b'diyevid. The gra, however, says, number one, point number one by the gra is, 
if you paid attention to the language, and there's no reason that you should have been attentive to this, but the the language with for food was tavshil. Tavshil actually has a very specific translation, which is a cooked food. So there's a possibility maybe this restriction only applies to cooked foods. Maybe there's some something about a food being cooked which makes it receptive or susceptible to, to, to ruach ra. Maybe if you put like a raw apple or something under a bed, so maybe that's not going to be a problem. So point number one of the gra is duadin ochlin chayim, kemot tsunom. Says, first of all, this applies to any food, even a raw food such as a radish. Who hasn't kept a couple of radishes under their bed for the middle of the night when you get the, the munchies at three in the morning? So having some radishes under the bed is a convenient place to go ahead and have a snack nearby. That's number one. But now what's more important for our purpose over here is um, v'im adam. The Gras says that in the event that food or beverage was left under a bed, so it's Aser, and you have to dis- discard that food in a place where nobody will find it and end up eating it. That means nowadays, if you're a restaurant and somebody touched food with uh, with ruach raw hands, you can't just go ahead and put it into the dumpster in the back of the restaurant because they're dumpster divers and they're people who may go searching for the uh, the food over there, and that's not discarding it in a way where nobody's going to come upon the food. But rather, they say you have to you have to discard it in a in a way shelo yimsa osam adam that nobody's going to find it and end up using it. And but vuhuza kasav. But the Binas Adam, after after presenting the opinion of the Gra, the very stringent opinion of the Gra, he does say, I don't know why it's doing this. The Binas Adam seems to be of the opinion that nowadays, where common practice is that people are not so concerned about this, this, uh, this uh, scenario. They're not so concerned about food, which is left under somebody's bed being aser. So therefore, people generally are lenient, uh, are, are, are lenient, and they go ahead and they don't throw away the food. And this was even before nowadays, where we're very quick to throw away uh, leftovers and food like that. But even at a time where people were very hesitant, so common practice was not like the Gra. Common practice was to treat it as, a, to say, like the Shrus Yaakov, the Bidiyavid, it would be Mutter. Now, can I ask a quick question? Uh, are we defining something as a bed only if somebody's sleeping in it? Um, so we have not defined that as of yet. So that is a discussion. Is it a bed where people sleep? It's a bed where a married couple may have relations, or is it anywhere that a person sleeps? For example, one of the questions, uh, which uh, when you start thinking about this issue, I, I didn't, I didn't bring all of this into the to the discussion tonight. But the post can talk about what happens. Very common scenario is in a baby carriage. So if you're going to somebody's house for Shabbos, so you put a bunch of food in that little basket which is under the baby. So you'll have food there. You'll have beverages there. If you're going for uh, you know to a, to a, a host. For a meal on Shabbos, you may well have some food for them. You're going to bring them a bottle of wine, or you may bring them some cookies or some candy or something like that, a candy dish. So in the event that you put the candy dish on the basket below the buggy, and now on the way from shul to your host's house, the baby falls asleep, does that become us? Or another common scenario is 
you go ahead and you put your carry-on under the seat in front of you, because that's what they tell you on the plane. And then on a flight to Eretz Yisrael, so you have your sandwich there, you have your chips there, you have your snacks there. And meanwhile, when you wake up, suddenly you wake up in a panic because you realize that your food is under the seat in front of you and the person has just been sleeping for the past six hours. So does that food become usr? What happens when there's a bunk bed and you're on the lower bunk and somebody on the upper bunk is sleeping and you're munching on your chips in that case, does the food become usr over there? So there's all sorts of scenarios. You went ahead and you put the, you took an extra cookie from Kiddush and Shul and you put it in your back pocket and then you fell asleep on the couch. Does that become usr? So there's all sorts of variations of, of that. And we're not going to uh, explore any of that tonight. Rabbi Schaffel, what about whether... Is there a distinction about whether the food is open to the air because it's ruach ra and you spoke about touching the food? If the food is totally wrapped uh, in something else, if it's inside another clee or in a wrap or something like that, is that considered to have the same status as food that is simply left under someone's bed and is not wrapped? Right, so that also is another discussion which the post can have about the nature of Ruach Ra and whether it's able to get into sealed packages, it's not able to get into sealed packages, also part of the discussion which we're, we're, we're not going to explore tonight. We'll come back to uh, food under the bed, apparently, <laughs> another time in the, in the future. But that part of it also, so we're, we're, not, we're not going to, uh, to get into. But, but that is the, the, the point that both of you uh, that bring up both Art and Bob bring up, is also part of the interesting element, just in terms of the mechanics of halacha, that in order to be able to decide many of these matters halachically, so you have to have a good grasp of how exactly Ruach Ra works. How does it, how does it transfer? How does it uh, appear? How does it transfer? What exactly is the nature and character of Ruach Ra to know how it's going to be able to spread and how it's going to be able to reach other things? So yes, all of that is part of the uh, part of the discussion. As you'll see towards the end, I don't remember if I grabbed that part of the quote, but one of the posts we discusses this begins with that idea that you're asking me a question about something I know nothing about, because it's hard to go ahead and you know uh, you know uh, 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 biology principles and chemistry principles and physics principles. So those are scientific principles that we could easily go ahead and we could define and we could set parameters of how things are going to move or not move. Ruach Ra is a spiritual thing, so it's more difficult to go ahead and pin down exactly how it functions. So yes, all of that is, uh, is part of it. Okay, now um, in source three, what we have over here is, we have from the Dark Echuva. We have two pieces from the Dark Echuva. Dark Echuva is sort of like a Mishnah Brewer style commentary. It's actually more like the Kafachayim. But it's sort of like a Mishavura type of uh, commentary to the beginning of Yoridea, or halfway through Yoridea. Um, so he writes as follows. He says, as far as pinpointing what exactly the Gra holds, he says, Ayin So he says that the Binas Adam quoted from the Gra that Bidyeva, the food is going to be Aser. That if the food was under a bed, covered or not covered, bed, sleeping on the bed, not sleeping on the bed, whatever those parameters are, but he brought down from the Gra that the food bidyeved would be aser. But So he also quotes this. 
So he says that they quote from Reb Chaim Velazhin. Reb Chaim Velazhin was the most outstanding and well-known student of the Gra. So somebody knows the Gra's position about something, you would assume that Reb Chaim Velazhin would be one of those people. Shagra hichmir rak al atzmo. So he says that don't over over let's spend don't overreach the opinion of the gra over here because the gra's chumrah that if food was left under a bed that you have to discard it that was a chumrah which the gra kept privately. It was not something which he publicized or he would tell other people to do. He himself was machmer about, the, about such things. That if food or beverages were under a bed, even just a little bit, the gra himself would be machmer and he would not eat that food. But Reb Chaim Velazhen asserts, But when it came to others, so he was lenient, and he had no issue telling other people that they could go ahead and they could eat the food or they could drink the beverage which had been left under uh, under somebody else's bed or had been left under a bed. So now we have a disagreement what exactly the, the Gra's position is. The way the, the Binas Adam understands it, the Gra was machmer for everybody. Everybody has to be concerned about the Ruach Ra. But according to Rebchaim Velazhen, this was a private chumrah of the Gra but not something which other people need to be concerned about. Now, um, now in this next piece from the Dark Yitshuva, skipping all of the names at the beginning, so he says, beginning from the second line over here, mm-hmm. So here it touches a little bit upon what you, you the point you raised, Bob. It says the Gra was machmer, even b'dyeved, meaning it was already after the fact, regarding some sugar, it was contained in some sort of container. So I can't tell you that it was airtight container, but the sugar was in a container which was under a bed that somebody slept upon. Getting to your point over there, uh, Art, that in this particular case, somebody actually did sleep on it. And what did the, what was the Gra's response to this? Vitziva l'hashlichem l'nar. And in that case, the Gra said, you got to discard the sugar in the river. So nobody's allowed to use it. He says, this would seem to be um, that uh, it, may, it may very well be that this sugar wasn't even in a bed. It was in some, let's say somebody went to, somebody had some sugar in their trunk at camp and somebody decided to take a nap on the trunk. So even though it wasn't even a bed, it's just a place where somebody slept over it, that already was enough to make it aser, and it doesn't have to be specifically a bed. Also, to your point, Art, about whether it's a bed and whether it's sleeping or not. And then he says, Um, Now he brings another opinion, which says that the only time that there is a concern about the Ruach Ra is a bed upon which a couple was intimate. So if beneath the bed, during the moment of intimacy, there was food, then the food becomes Aser. 
Mashenkin b'mita shenas is rak v'shena levad, as opposed to a bed which somebody is just um, sleeping upon, so there may not be the same ruach ra, or the ruach ra which is there, may not be able to enter the food, and then that would not be a problem. So we have all of these different issues which are all sort of floating around, sort of like the ruach ra, just sort of floating around with all of these uh, these different issues about the status of a food once it goes ahead and it comes in contact with ruach ra. Okay, so now that is the background as far no. as ruach ra is concerned. Now, so it, it occurs to me that there, there are a lot of Labavitris that leave their Nagel Vasar under their bed specifically so that they don't even have to get out of the bed before they use it in the morning. Right. Um, so, you know, if, if the Ruach Ra goes onto the water, then it's presumably no good for Nagel Vasar anymore. Oh. Uh, well, yeah, maybe yes, maybe no, but yeah. Yes, but there, 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 there is a discussion with regards to where you should place your Nagel Vasar. So that is another discussion about whether it should be under the bed. There are, there are post-game hormakbe that dafka should not be under the bed. Going to Bob's point, there are some people who, even if they put it under the bed, they make sure that there's a cover over the cup of water to protect it from ruach ra. So yeah, so that's, uh, yes. It's uh, potentially a far-reaching uh, type of uh, um, um, uh, issue. Okay. Okay. Now, <coughs> um, yeah, okay, so now the question is, so now let's get to the Chosha Mishpat uh, element of the Shail. And that is, as we said, Ruvain went ahead and took Shimon's food and put it under a bed. And let's just assume that whatever scenario it had to be, Shimon's food becomes Aser. Or there's a possibility that it's us, there's a machlokis, whether it's us, sir. And the question is, Shimon says, listen, I can't eat that food now. You put my food under a bed, somebody slept over it. And I want you to reimburse me for that, uh, that food that you ruined by placing my food under a bed. And Uved says, ah, what are you talking about? Who says that it's actually us, or maybe but it's motor? And he gives whatever argument he's going to give as to why he's not chayev. And now the question is, is he chayev or not? Okay. So the first thing is the first thing we're going to explore. This is it's a number of C from from Simon Shin Vav. It's in source four over here, but it has to do with uh, a person's liability. It's actually a craftsman liability for damages, and some of it is going to touch upon our issue over here, where there's a machlokis whether or not the food is going to be awesome. So just to get us, we all, ultimately, what we want to do is we want to get to Sif Hey. But in order to get to Sif Hay, so we need uh, a little bit of background, and that's what we have in Sif Base and Sif Dalit. So here, or parts of Sif Base and Sif Dalit. So here we are, Chosha Mishpah Simen Shin Vav Sif Base, Nasan Leumnim Lesakin. You give some appliance, you give a piece of jewelry, you give some item to a repairman for repair, the Kilkalo, and in the process of making that repair, so the craftsman or the repairman went ahead and damaged it. So So a repairman or appliance guy who goes out and damages, damages the item that he was charged to repair, that he was uh, hired to repair, so he is going to be liable to pay for that damage. What would be some examples of a craftsman who messes up what he was uh, assigned to do? So this we have in Steve Dalit over there. Let's say I go ahead and I drop off 
my wheat kernels by Ralph, because Ralph has a mill in his yard. And he goes in and he professionally grinds up grain into flour and gives his, uh, his customers uh, gr- uh, um, uh, ground up flour. And Ralph got distracted in the middle of the day because the clocks are about to change and he forgot that Mincha was coming and he just ran out in the middle of preparing the grain and he forgot to soak it first. Now, what happens when you don't soak the grain before you go ahead and you grind it up is you're not going to get fine white flour, vasan subin or morsan. And you end up with um, whole wheat or you end up with pumpernickel or you end up with a bad quality grain, whatever it happens to be. Or, you went ahead and gave some flour to a baker to go ahead and bake you some bread, and the bread collapsed. He forgot to put in um, yeast or something like that. So you end up with pita rather than with challah for Shabbos. Not what you were interested in. Or, behave, this is one what we're looking for. You went ahead and you brought your animal to a shochet. Vinivla. And in the process of doing shechita, the, the shochet went ahead and made a mistake and rendered your animal nevela. So he trafed up your animal, we're just going to say for uh, simplicity. So b'schar, so in all of these cases, if the craftsman, if the professional was paid to do his job and, uh, not, and he did do his job, he messed up whatever he was paid to do, so you have to go ahead and you have to reimburse the customer. Okay, now give out. So now what we know is that the halacha, which we take with us as we move from Siv Dal to Siv Hay, is you brought your animal to the shochet, the shochet went ahead and made a mistake in the shechita and trafed up your animal, so he's got to reimburse you the value of the animal. Now in Siv Hay, says the shochanach, when is this true? This is only true in the event that we clearly see that the animal is now trafed. It is definitive, definitively a nevela. Aval But let's say what the shochet did was he did something to the animal which doesn't definitively make the animal treif, but there, it now raises a shaila that there are some postim who say it's treif. Or, we don't know this particular injury, whether this injury makes the animal treif or not. Let's say in the process of doing the shechita, the shochet, rather than doing one swift motion with his hand, he did half the motion, and then he paused, and then he did the rest. So shehia, pausing in the middle of the shechita act, is something which could potentially trafe up the animal. And certainly if we know that the shochet paused, we would never eat that animal, but you can't say definitively it's trafe. So the question is, what happens if the shochet did something which raises a suffix? So we don't know for sure that the animal's treif, but it's such a strong suffix that nobody would ever eat it. So in such a case, says Shochan Aruch, pater. He doesn't have to pay. So anytime there's going to be a machlokas, seemingly whether or not the thing was ruined to the point where it's absolutely usher to eat it, if there's a suffix, whether it's truly usher to eat it, then the shochet is not going to be responsible. And obviously that's going to have impact in our case of the, the food, which is left under the bed, because as we said, there's a machlokas, whether or not the food is actually usher b'dyeved. 
like the Shrus Yaakov, so Ruvain didn't do anything wrong. He didn't ruin Shimon's food. According to some versions of the Gra, he actually did. So being that there's a suffix, whether or not the food is ruined, so maybe that itself is going to be an exemption for which Ruvain is not going to have to pay for Shimon's food, even if Shimon decides he's not going to eat it because he likes to follow the opinion of the Gra. But nonetheless, just because Shimon wants to follow the opinion of the Gra is not enough of a reason to say that Ruvain is going to be chayef. Then, says Ramah even further, he says, even if it's a circumstance where common practice in all of Klai Yisrael is to treat it as Aser, nonetheless, it's still, Ruvain is going to be exempt from having to pay because you cannot say definitively that Ruvain has to pay. Because as all of you know, in Chosha Mishpat, the rule number one of Chosha Mishpat is that before you can make somebody pay, you have to prove your case beyond any doubt whatsoever. And as long as Ruvain has an opinion which says the food isn't Aser, you can't make him pay for it. So even though, even in a circumstance where nobody would eat it because of this suffix, nonetheless, Ruvain does not have to pay. Then says the Ramah, And the Ramah says, this appears to me to be the correct halacha, even though there are those who argue and maintain that in the event that everybody treats something as treif, so then we're going to treat it as treif as well as if it's definitively treif. And that's really what you have, um, which we won't read inside, but that's what you have from the shach, the shach over there in Simon Shin Vav, Sif Katun Yud, he elaborates on this dissenting opinion and says that anytime something is treated as Aser by everybody, then we would be able to make Ruvain pay. Okay, so that is point number one, which we have to explore, that being that there's a machlokas, whether the Shimon's food, which was left under the bed, is actually Aser or not, so that may already create an exemption for Ruvain, because as long as Ruvain has an opinion, which says the food is not Aser, so you can't make him pay for something which is not Aser. Now, Point number two is um, the um, another point regarding the nature of this damage. And that is, there's a, uh, a, a topic within Hilchos Nezikin, within the topic of damages, there's a category, the Gemara and Gittin elaborates on it, but there's a category of damages which is called Hezek She'eno Nikr. It's indiscernible damages. In other words, when you have something which is, its status has changed, but you cannot see physically anything different about it. So if I go ahead and I take your coffee mug and I throw it on the ground, and now you got a bunch of broken pieces on the floor, so that's Hezek Hanikar. That's recognizable, discernible damage, and everybody's going to see that as damage. Hezek She'eno Nikar, indiscernible damages, so there's an achlokas in the Gemara, whether or not that is categorized halachically as damages, and we actually paskin, Hezek She'eno Nikar is not called Hezek. That indiscernible, Midaraisa, I should say. Midaraisa, it's not considered to be damages. Midarabanan, it is. So what's an example of that? And we'll see the relevance of it in a moment. So here in source number six, this is in Simon Shinpei Hei Sif Aleph, Hamaziket Let's say I cause you indiscernible damages. What does that mean? 
So you have a bottle of wine, and I take some Avodah wine, and I mix it in. Now, as you walk by and you look at your container of wine, does it visibly look any different? No, it's Chardonnay with Chardonnay. It looks exactly the same. doesn't taste any different. It doesn't look any different. It just happens to be that this bottle had, was used for Avodah Zara, and this one was not. But it's the same brand, the same vintage. It's the exact same wine. But halachically, your wine has obviously been dramatically damaged because now you have some Avodah Zara wine mixed into your bottle, and it's also to drink. So that is Hezek Shainonikr. So you cannot see any damage which was done, but damage was done. So what's the halacha? Mina Torah hupata. So Mina Torah, when I went ahead and I poured Avodah Zara wine into your wine, I don't have to pay anything because it's considered to be indiscernible damage and the Torah does not define that as damage. But Chazal came along and said, we cannot have a system in place where I could go ahead and I could cause untold thousands of dollars of damage to your property, but as long as I do it in this indiscernible manner that I'm not going to have to pay. So every time I get angry at you, I go into your wine cellar and I spritz, I take out my spritz bottle of Avodah wine and I start spritzing all of those bottles. I start spritzing into all of your stuff, this, uh, this Avodah wine. And now I've, in, I, I've prohibited your entire wine cellar and there's no consequence to me at all. Because Midaraisa, I wouldn't have to pay anything. So Chazal said, we cannot do this. We cannot allow something like this to, take, to, to, uh, to exist. People will take advantage of it. And therefore they said, Midrabanan, you have to pay. It's a knas, it's a, it's a rabbinic penalty, but you do have to go ahead and pay. So now the relevance over here, we'll skip the rest of the sip because of time. But the, what the Shiloh over here is, when Ruvain went ahead and put Shimon's food under a bed. So when you look at the food, can you tell that these chips have Ruach Ra on them? Absolutely not. As holy as uh, all of you are, I don't know if you are, are so holy, they could visibly see Ruach Ra, which is there. So being that the damage, which, uh, which the worst, and even in the worst case scenario, if we're going to call Ruvein a mazik for having ruined Shimon's food, but it's Hezek Shannonikar. It's indiscernible damages. And indiscernible damages, we would say that, uh, that you only have to pay because of a rabbinic penalty. And their rabbinic penalty may only apply in the event that Ruvain did it intentionally. If you went ahead and you did Hezek Sheinu Nikar unintentionally, inadvertently, so then there's very strong grounds to say that we revert back to the Daraisa and you don't have to pay. Because Chazal, the whole point of their, of their knas, the whole point of the penalty was to prevent people from doing this intentionally. And it, it, says, like, that it, it says that explicitly in the last line of the paragraph you're in. Yeah, yeah. I got distracted by the part about the, the sun over there. All right. The last line says, thank you very much, Art. It says, That Chazal, when they went ahead and they said, we're going to make you pay for Hezek Sheinonikar, that's only true when it's done intentionally. So if Ruvain doesn't know the halacha, that you're not allowed to put somebody's food under uh, under a bed, so then, there would also be reason to say that Ruvain is not going to be chayef. So, so far, we have two reasons to say that Ruvain is not going to be, uh, is not going to be chayef. The first one, we said that 
uh, being that there's a machlokas, whether it's us in the first place anyways, so how could you say that Ruvain has to pay? And even if we were to say that uh, that it would be us because of that, seemingly it's going to fall into the category of Hezek Shein Nicker, and you should not have to pay. Okay. Now, let's see, in the next three sources, we'll try and go through them uh, quickly, three more recent uh, uh, authorities, um, meaning from the 20th and the 21st century, uh, which address more specifically our Shaila involving Ruvain and Shimon. So the first one is the Chuvas Rav Paolim. Chuvas Rav Paolim is the Ben Ishchai. One of the great things about the Ben Ishchai, besides that he's the Ben Ishchai, is that uh, in this particular set of Chuvas, which he wrote, called Rav Paolim, so he not only has a section on Orchaim, section on Yeridea, section on Evan Ezer, and a section on Choshemishbad, he also has a section on Kabbalah. Not too many people write tshuvas about Kabbalah-related matters, but the Ben Ishchai was capable of doing that, uh, that, that thing. So that's why you see in the title it says, Tshuvas Rav Paolim Chelek Dalad, Sod Yesharim. Sod Yesharim is the part of the tshuva sefer which relates to Kabbalah, uh, which relates to Kabbalah ideas. So once in a while he throws in some halachas over there, but he writes over here. But putting aside what they introduce him to this, he says, um, Amarti. We'll start over here. Amarti adam ochel So this is the case that we're talking about. Ruvain went ahead and put Shimon's food under the bed, and Shimon was unaware. Shimon didn't realize that it happened. And the person who did this, Ruvain, is not at all related to Shimon. If Ruvain was related to Shimon, so then, you know, if he's his son or the daughter or somehow related, that could trigger a different set of halachas. But let's assume it like in our scenario, they're just friends at camp, and Ruvain went ahead and put Shimon's food under the bed. Kidei, uh, uh, okay, yeah. So says, so what's going to be the status of that food? So here, says the, the Ben Ishchai, he invokes an amazing principle. He says, He says, in such a case where Ruvain put Shimon's food under a bed, the Ruach Ra is not going to reside on Shimon's food. Why shouldn't it reside on Shimon's food? It's under a bed. If the nature of, uh, the, of Ruach Ra is that it's going to descend on food, which is under a bed, so why, just because Ruvain took Shimon's food and put it under the bed, why does that not allow the Ruach Ra to descend? So explains the Ben Ishchai, amazing. He says, Al-Derech Sha'amru, this is based on the Halachi principle, Ein Adam Oser, Dabr She'en that I cannot Aser something which is not my own. In other words, I can't go up to Ellen's uh, bowl of cholent and make a ned, I can make it not, an aser to me, but I can't go ahead and make it hectish. I can't go ahead and make it aser. I cannot do something verbally to impact somebody else's food because, or somebody else's thing, because it's not my own. I can only, I only have control and I can only impact with my, uh, my declarations things which belong to me, which belong to me and are under my control. So we hear also, says the Ben Ishchai, that being that Ruvain is not the owner of this food, he, by putting, even though we're put, he put it under a bed where Ruach Ra is going to reside, since he's not capable, a person is not capable of ossering somebody else's stuff, 
So this food does not get impacted by Ruach Ra. In the, the Ben Yishchai Paskin is that the food is going to be mutter in this case, seemingly according to all opinions, and we don't look at this as any hezek whatsoever. So that is analysis number one. Now, um, okay, you know what? We'll just jump to source number nine over here uh, for timing. In source number eight, there's an incident of Shomel Zalman uh, where somebody had put some food under a bed which was never really in use in the in the dorm. And then it happened to be that this particular Shabbos, somebody stayed there and slept on that bed. And what were they going to do with the beverage? Okay, he came up with a little bit of a hatter. But now let's go to source number nine, which will uh, which is more in line with the Benish Chai. So this is the Chuvas Taras Chaim. This is of Yosef Chaim Zonenfeld. So he was the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim, towards the beginning of the 20th century. He was around there at around the same time as Rav Cook. They had a lot of uh, uh, interactions with one another, a lot of opposition, which they had with, uh, with one another, but respectful uh, interactions. But he was a great uh, posik in and of himself. And he writes, Says of Yosef Chayim Zonfeld, he takes the Ben Yishchai a step further. And he says, the whole halacha, that if you put food under a bed, it potentially becomes usser or not, says that Rav Yosef Chaim, he's the one who started off by saying that you're asking me questions about something I know nothing about, so I can't really respond. But he said, it's mistaber, it's logical to me, that that whole halacha, that food left under the bed could potentially become usser, that's limited to a person putting his own food under the bed. So similar to the Ben Yishchai, that you can only impact your own food. But in our scenario, where Ruvain goes out and takes Shimon's food without Shimon's permission and puts it under the bed, so being that if we took Ruvain, if Shimon were to take Ruvain to a basin, saying, you're a mazik, you damaged my stuff, and I expect you to reimburse me. So being that based in, based on the reasons we said above, that it's hezek she'eno nicker, or being that there's a machlokas about it, so you can't say definitively that there was a damage, but whatever the, the rationale is going to be, being that at the end of the day, based in cannot make ruvein chayev, davi hezek she'eno nicker, because he invokes the rule, because it's indiscernible damage. So here he says this amazing thing, so that means that the Ruach Ra is, is prevented from descending upon this food. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying that being there, you can never make Ruvain Chayiv to pay. So the Ruach Ra is aware of the Halacha. The Ruach Ra is only going to, <laughs> only going to descend on the food in the event that it's actually going to be able to cause a person, that, uh, a, a, a potential loss. So if you take your own food and put it uh, under your bed, so you'll have to, in a sense, eat your own loss. Sorry to pull Bob on you over there. But you're going to have to go ahead and eat your own loss. So therefore, the Ruach Ra says, oh, this is an opportunity to make somebody lose money. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to descend. I'm going to ruin that food. But when Ruvain does it to Shimon's food, so since Ruvain cannot be held responsible for that loss, the Ruach Ra says, okay, 
if we're not going to be able to go ahead and hit Ruvain for responsibility, financial responsibility for the damage which he did, we're just going to, we, the Ruach, Ruach, are just going to step aside and we're not even going to descend on that food and we're going to allow the food to remain pure and intact so that Shimon will be able to eat it. So here's this amazing idea that the Ruach, Ruach isn't going to go there simply because we're not going to be able to hold Ruvain responsible as a mazik. And that's his reason for leniency in this uh, in this particular case. But at the end of the day, I think uh, most posts can hold really like the binas, like the uh, the shrus Yaakov, that b'diyevah, the food is not really going to be asar anyways. So that's why in most cases it would uh, it, it would be mutter. But as I said at the outset, it's a fascinating analysis of how halacha is going to look at this spiritual uh, entity called ruach ra. And not only how it's going to look at Ruach Ra, but then how that Ruach Ra is going to be impacted by these principles of Chosha Mishpah. So, bottom line is, don't put food under your bed, but in the event that somebody else put food under your bed, so you can go ahead and you can enjoy. And don't use the wrong shita. Oh, yes. <laughs> don't use the wrong shita. I appreciate your uh, your self-control throughout the shear to uh, to restrain yourself this, uh, this whole time. Hold that, yeah. Hold that back. Quick one, Rabbi. What? A quick one question. Yes. Uh, you, earlier you mentioned Rokhayim Volozhin. Yes. Uh, do you know uh, when his era was? When does he date from? Uh, would be the beginning of the 1800s, beginning of the 19th century. Considerably before the uh, the Nitziv in, in Volozhin. Yes, yes. He, yeah. he was, he was uh, a couple of generations before the Nitziv. Okay, thank you. All right, everybody, have a good night. All right. Thank you, Thank you Rabbi. Yeah. Don't forget, Thank next you. week, so the uh, uh, Monday night class is at... Tuesday, Tuesday night class is at 7. Tuesday class is at 7, and the Thursday night class is at 8.30 on our winter schedule. Right. Have a good Shabbos, everybody. Call to.